How's it going today, guys? Back here after a week off live in the studio for an episode of Hot Takes with TP3. I'm your host, Thomas Penland, on Tuesday, October 26th. Joined once again by Ben Gorwitz. Ben, say what's up to everybody. What's going on, everyone? Great slate today. Great slate. World Series game one coming up as well. Oh, yeah. We got a lot to talk about. We got to talk about, obviously, our Braves are going to the World Series feels great man we got to talk about that we got to talk about um the current uh college football outlook of these undefeated teams in the heisman trophy and then last but not least we got some big nfl topics for you talking about the hottest teams in the league so we'll kick things off like we said ben our braves are going to the world series first off did you cry once you once that we won the game i did um i was actually in tuscaloosa alabama this past weekend um for the homecoming game alumni weekend and uh after you know, I was watching the game inside the stadium, so I was watching the Alabama-Tennessee game in person. I also had pulled up my phone, the Braves game, got out of the Alabama game after they won, went to a restaurant, and uh, had the restaurant had it on. Uh, got a call from my grandmother, calls me every single game within seconds of the final out, and uh, absolutely had some tears coming out. Yeah, I teared up a little bit, had a couple tears, I can't even lie. Look, when I first started watching sports, the first team I watched was the Braves with my dad. That's my first memory I can remember of watching sports is watching Braves baseball. I've been waiting on this moment a long, long time as a kid. It felt great. I was down in Tampa, Florida watching this game in a bar, and look, this was honestly probably my favorite. Look, I was at game two. That game was awesome. This is my favorite game, Braves game ever as a fan, just because not only did we win to go to the World Series, but just the way we did it. Eddie Rosario, the guy who's come up big, he comes up big. Snicker makes the ballsy move, pinch hitting Adrianza. I was a little pissed off we didn't send the runner at first. I was like, well, we're screwed now because we didn't send the runner and we just took Ian Anderson out of the game. Ended up being the right call, man. Snicker comes through again. Snicker's done a hell of a job in postseason. But Tyler Matzig, it's a guy who had the yips, couldn't throw a strike. Um, There's a great article about it. Ben sent it to me. His wife basically convinced him to pitch. He comes in here. Not only does he strike out the side with runners in second and third, but not only does he does do that, but he strikes out Mookie Betts on three freaking pitches. It feels like he's a guy who's experienced failure so many times. He just doesn't care and throws it in there. And if you can hit him, you hit him. If you don't, sit down. He's been tremendous for the Braves. Um, yeah, I mean, the article is tremendous. Um, it's definitely worth, worth everyone's time to read. He basically had the yips in baseball, couldn't throw strikes, couldn't come anywhere near the plate. He was working as uh, an electrician, electrician or plumber maybe or something like that. Mm-hmm. And uh, his wife said, like, basically, what are, what are we doing? Like, you've worked so hard. You wanted to reach this point in your life. Don't just give up now. And Braves ended up giving him a chance, and he worked his way back up, and uh, he's he's been phenomenal. And the Braves have the exact same formula to close out games. Uh, you know, they go they go Minter, they go Jackson, they go Matzik, and they go Will Smith, and they're gonna put their best guys forward and say, "What can you do against these four guys?" Luke Jackson did not have a very good series against the Dodgers. Uh, but he's been tremendous for the Braves all season long. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I think he, he will bounce back. The Dodgers have kind of had his number over the past couple of years. And he, he admitted that to interviews. I thought his interviews have been fantastic. He he put the blame on himself. He put the accountability. That he needs to be better. And uh, I, I got all the faith in the world in him. But Minter, Matzik, and Will Smith, the three lefties at the back end of the bullpen, have been phenomenal. And the Braves are going to trot those guys out there every single time they believe late in games. And they're going to stay, put your best against ours. And so far, nobody's beaten the Braves. 
Yeah, you hit the nail on the head, Ben. Are we got a nice way of doing things? Same thing with uh, Lou Jackson. Let's talk a little bit about this World Series matchup we got coming up here. I mean, that was a hell of a series being able to beat the Dodgers, a hundred and five win team. We're the team with the least amount of wins in the regular season. We get in the playoffs, we're hot. Shout out to Alex Anthopoulos, all the moves he made bringing those outfielders for us. I mean, just this whole entire team and the group effort that it is, but. Talk a little bit about this series now. So, obviously, we're going to get the DH. You're going to see Solaire in there. First thing I'm going to ask you is, do you think that we'll see Solaire starting in the outfield in any of these games in Atlanta, or do you think he'll strictly just be DH and you stick with the hot hands in the lineup? I think it'll be a matchup-based thing. Um, mm-hmm. it, if someone's really struggling and Solaire gets hot in these first two games, you might see him back. I think as of right now, the way it sits, it's hard to change the lineup up. It's hard to go away from what's working. Mm-hmm. Um Solaire's been starting every game that he's been in the out uh, since he's been in the Braves in the outfield. He hasn't had any problems defensively to where it's like lost them games. I don't know who you take out. Um, I, I would, I guess you would take out Jock Peterson. Um, if, if Solaire starts, I, I would assume Jock Peterson comes out of the lineup and provides that pinch hitting power that he's done in the past. But it, that's a tough decision. I think Snickers going to come to that whenever he, whenever he has to, which would be game three. Mm-hmm. Um, tonight, Soler is back in the leadoff spot because a lefty pitcher is going for the Astros. So uh, he's DHing it leadoff. Rosario's playing the outfield, batting fifth. So Braves lineup has a lot of depth. Um, glad that Soler is back because now that we have we have four outfielders, so one of them plays DH, and it slots in perfectly. You know, something about this series is the Braves have an advantage in starting pitching. Um, both bullpens were kind of remade at the trade deadline, uh, more so the Astros, the Braves remade their outfield mostly, but the Braves second half bullpen played, pitched a lot better than the first half. The Astros were horrible in the bullpen. And I think they brought in three bullpen pitchers at the trade deadline and that's helped them out tremendously. So the bullpens are both pretty solid. The starting pitching advantage goes to the Braves, uh, lineup. Their lineup is is better than the Braves, but it's not I by agree. much. It's not by much. Um, it's just going to – who can come up with the big hit? And an interesting stat for game one is Framer Valdez for the uh, Astros is a lefty starting tonight. He is the highest ground ball it, – it's like top three highest ground ball rate out of all the pitches he throws. The Braves are second to, second to lowest in baseball in ground ball hit rate. Only the Giants hit less ground balls than the Braves. So something's kind of have, going to have to budge in game one. You have a heavy ground ball pitcher, loves to throw sinkers, versus a Braves lineup that doesn't hit very many ground balls. So something's got to budge. Uh, whoever has that advantage. If you're the Braves, you got to win one out of the one out of the first two in Houston because uh, then you get to play three in a row at home. So Charlie Morton, who used to be the Astros pitcher last year, is now on the Atlanta Braves. He gets to go back to Houston to pitch game one, and then the Braves will go Max Freed game two. Yeah, I like those stats you gave out there a lot, Ben. Those are very good ones to point out there. Look, from a pitching perspective, I think Atlanta has the better pitching. Bullpen, you can say whatever you want to. The Astros have honestly done very weird with pitching. They've really only used – so, Zach Greinke's thrown two innings the entire postseason. Obviously, this is not the same Zach Greinke is old. Uh, Luis Garcia, he has had some very good outings. He's also had some outings that have gone like two innings. I mean, same thing with Valdez. It's been really, really weird. I was looking through everything. They also have uh, Uriquity, another pitcher they like to throw, who has done the same thing where he throws like two innings and he's out, and then they just go with the bullpen the entire game. So I expect to see them use a lot of pitchers unless Valdez is dealing like he did that one game against Boston. 
Um, lineup wise, though, they definitely have the edge. Jose Altuve, even though he's a cheating scumbag, he's a hell of a player. Mm-hmm. Um, Michael Brantley's obviously a beast. Jordan Alvarez, one of the best young upcoming players. Alex Bregman, we know what he can do. Correa, another cheating scumbag. He's a beast as well. I mean, then you have Guriel, a guy who's going to be just a very hard out to get. You got Kyle Tucker. I mean, this lineup is absolutely loaded. They, are, they have at least seven hitters in that lineup that you do not want to see in a batter's box. You can hit one over the fence at any point in time. Look, I think it's going to be a hell of a series. Just because that we both picked the Dodgers to win the series, and I don't want to jinx us, I'm going to say Houston in six, just because I don't want to jinx the Braves. I'm winking as I say that, Houston in six. Um, Look, this team, our Braves team has been very resilient throughout the playoffs. I expect that we'll have a new unsung hero. I feel like Jock Peterson was the guy who carried us through the first round with his big hits. The second round, I feel like it was Eddie Rosario. Look, I wouldn't be shocked if it's Soler. I wouldn't be shocked if it's Duvall. I wouldn't be shocked if it's Dansby. It's going to be someone else who steps up. Freddie Freeman has not been that great this playoffs. Ozzy, look, I love Ozzy Albies. My one beef with Ozzy is he's never seen a pitch he doesn't like. He just goes up there and swings out of his shoes. But at the same time, that's why Ozzy always comes up in the biggest situations because he's not scared to swing the bat when he's up there. So, you know, it goes both ways. This Braves team, though, will find a way to get it done. We always seem to. And look, if we can steal one game in Houston, I love our chances back at home. Nobody has a better home field advantage than us. Yeah, and uh, someone was uh, – oh, who was the – who was it? Who was – there was an announcer for somebody. Mm-hmm. No, no, no. It was Walt Weiss, who's a uh, – Walt, yeah, Walt Weiss, who's a uh, assistant coach on the Braves, used to be the Rockies manager back um, a couple years ago. Mm-hmm. He said, you know, he's been with the Braves as an assistant coach for, I want to say, four years now, something around there. He said the atmosphere at Truth Park has been second to none. He said, I've played in a lot of games at Turner Field. Uh, crowds got loud. Obviously, the Braves, they're pretty well known to have a strong oh, yeah. um, you know, fan base. It's, I've mentioned it. It stretches across like eight, nine different states. Braves Shout out does. TBS so, for doing that. <clears throat> yeah, well, Ted Turner back in the yeah. day. Um, so, yeah, he, he thinks the Truth Park crowd is it's, – it's absurd. He, it's so loud, he said. Um, it, you know, it helps that people get there early and get nice and liquored up for the games, but, uh, shout out the battery, but yeah, it's the <laughs> home field advantage is, is definitely true in Atlanta. Um, the fans have been very, very supportive. I hope to be one of those fans in one of these games. I'm looking at, uh, going to game five. Cause that's, that's the game that my entire family can go to. So, uh, I'll, I'll probably be there for game five and, you know, unless there's a sweep, I think a sweep is very unlikely in this situation, but, uh. If there's not a sweep, I'll, I'll probably be there for game five and uh, we'll kind of go from there. Yeah, that's awesome. I'm jealous you're going to get to go. I tried to get pre-sale tickets twice and shout out Ticketmaster for sucking. Um, both times I was trying to click buy and it somehow said my ticket wasn't available and then it kept just like giving me error messages and stuff. I don't know. It was a very weird process, but yeah, I was trying to get tickets. I'm very upset. I can't get, I'm not going to go. Actually, well, I'm not going to rule out that I'm not going to go, but let's put it this way. I'm not spending more than $500 on a ticket, which is what it looks like or the situation is right now. But right. yeah, you know, I just feel like that this Braves team is the team of destiny. You know, we got hot second half of the season and we've just been riding that hot wave ever since. So we can see if we can fit, keep riding that. For sure. And they are definitely America's team. I don't know many people outside of the city of Houston that want them to win. Nobody wants Houston to win. Remember that, guys. It's the first season with the fans back in the stadium. Um, anyway, anything else you wait, anything else you want to say on this before we move to college football? I think it'll be a great series. Um, 
there's a couple like interesting kind of caveats. So the Braves manager Brian Snicker, his son is the one of the Astros hitting coaches. You better give um, some so tips. That's, so that's pretty cool for the Snicker family. Um, Dusty Baker, who's the uh, Astros manager, is a big time Braves fan. Yep. When, when he retires from the game of baseball, he will be a Braves fan. A um, little fun fact about him, when Hank Aaron hit his 715th home run, the man standing on the on-deck circle was Dusty Baker. Yep. Played for the, I think he played eight seasons for the Braves. Um, mm-hmm. He'll probably get a nice ovation when, when they do the starting lineups and his name's announced. Braves country does love him. Other than that, I, I think it's a tremendous series. Um, the Astros just keep getting to this point, it seems like. Last five years. They've been one of the best teams, if not the best organizations in baseball. Well, they're just uh, able to Dodgers, keep their core Rays. players together, you know. The only player right. they've really lost is Springer, and oh wait, they replaced him with Kyle Tucker and Jordan Alvarez. Yeah. So they're I mean listen, they cheated and got there. They still got there anyway. So mm-hmm. you know, I, I, I think people have a right to hate their guts for everything, but you do have to admit they're good players. Jose Altuve is a great player. Correa yep. is a great player. Bregman, great play. Like, this is also – this might be the top two infields in baseball. Oh, yeah. No, both infields are stacked. I'm glad you brought that one up, too, with Austin Riley emerging. I mean, don't get me wrong, Dansby's very average at the plate, but in the field, he Tremendous might be the best fielder. Field. Yeah. He might be one of the – he might be the best fielding shortstop in all of baseball. That's how good he is. Um, all right. Well, anyway, Ben, it's going to be a hell of a series. We're both excited for that. We will definitely talk about the World Series and revisit it when we podcast again on Friday at the point we're at. Um, anyway, though, let's move next to a little. Actually, we might have to move that podcast to Thursday for for our football and stuff. But yeah, regardless, though, we definitely will talk about the series again. Let's talk a little bit about some football now. So, Ben, we are at the point in the season where somehow we've had some undefeated teams still slip through the rankings. Our current playoff is Georgia 1, Cincinnati 2, Alabama at 3, Oklahoma at 4. Ben and I did check. Um, it's next week that the college football Final Four will actually drop, so we'll see what the, where Cincinnati actually does stand. This is only the AP poll, which doesn't really mean anything for the college football playoff. But we have tons other of undefeated teams remaining besides three of those four that I just named. Ben, let's start out with the number one team in the nation, the Georgia Bulldogs. Do you think Georgia gets through the rest of this season undefeated? And if they were to slip up wherever you think they slip up, if they do, will that affect them being able to get in? I do think they go undefeated. Um, their schedule is not really too mm-hmm. difficult for the rest of the year. It's at, it's uh they play against Florida this coming week, which is in Jacksonville. Then it's Missouri at home at Tennessee, Charleston Southern at Georgia tech. If they were going to slip up in one game, I would say maybe at Tennessee just because wow. they have an offense that could throw the ball down the field. It's it's not the easiest environment to play in, mm-hmm. but they're not going to slip up anywhere. Um, I, I see this team going uh, undefeated, at least in the regular season. I, I don't even think it matters who play, who's playing quarterback for them for the rest of the schedule. Uh, I think Florida's done. Florida has no identity right now. They have no idea who's playing quarterback nothing's working for them right now. Um, they don't even look like the same team that they did through the first four or five games of the season. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's just like it's slipping through Mullen's fingers. It, it really seems like it is. Their defense hasn't really improved. Um, I don't think they're going to stop Georgia. So uh, I see Georgia going undefeated, at least in the regular season. And they yeah. will be favored against uh, assuming they play Alabama in the SEC championship game. 
they will be favored against Alabama as they should be. Absolutely, and especially the fact that it's basically a home game for them playing in the state of Georgia. Um, yeah, you know, I don't see Georgia slipping up, honestly, on the schedule. Um, yeah, I mean, well, I'll talk more about the Florida matchup on the weekend podcast because obviously that's going to be one of the big games that we break down there. I don't think Florida can get it done. I think they might be able to keep it close, but I don't think they're going to get it done there. Um, Tennessee, I think they can get past them. Um, Charleston, I mean, obviously Missouri's trash. Charleston Southern, Georgia Tech, I don't even think we need to worry about those. I think Georgia definitely makes it through the regular season undefeated. I want to see who they play in the SEC championship. Don't get me wrong, Ben. I think Alabama is very, very good, but just based off what I've seen the last couple of weeks, I wouldn't be shocked if there's a little slip up later on in the season. Um, yeah, I mean, this Georgia team is head and shoulders above everybody in college football. Usually there's one juggernaut team, and I think Georgia is that juggernaut team this year, so I don't see the slip-up coming. Next team up here, we have the Cincinnati Bearcats. Um, their remaining games on their schedule currently is at Tulane this week. Tulane is absolutely awful um, <laughs> versus Tulsa, who is not much better at USF, who might actually be worse than those other two teams I just named. And then they played number 19. He was another undefeated team, SMU, and at East Carolina. Ben, do you think Cincinnati can get through this very easy remaining schedule? Yeah, I do. And I think the main reason is because they have that hardest game at home. Mm -hmm. I think if they're both undefeated, that's a chance for them to be on college game day late in the season. Um, Oh, I bet it will be game day for sure. Yeah, probably will be. SMU is a very good football program. Yeah, um, Sunny, I believe it's still Sonny Dykes is their coach. It's getting looked at for mm-hmm. jobs, possibly like the Texas Tech job, and uh, he'll he'll get thrown into the other names. Not like a USC or LSU, but he'll he'll get like the smaller time, uh, s- smaller program. He, he's been around for a long time. Um, I, I see them going undefeated. Listen, for anyone that's listened to the podcast over the last year and this year, people know I love Desmond Ritter. He doesn't turn the ball over. He's tremendous in the red zone with you. And this team's a well-coached team. They don't penalize themselves very often. They make you beat them. And you know what? I think people are going to maybe look at the game against Navy. It's like, well, Navy's not that good. They only beat them by seven. It's the triple option. It doesn't matter how good the team is. If you don't see it very often, Mm -hmm. you just don't see it. It happened to get past the Cincinnati defense a little bit. They still ran an efficient offense. They still ran the ball very well. Ritter played very well. And like I said, Luke Fickle has he's a he's a he's a good coach. He has this team well coached. They're disciplined. They make you beat them. I don't think with the SMU game being at Cincinnati, I don't think they lose. Yeah, I agree with you completely on this one, Ben. I personally think SMU is going to drop one before that. They still have to play at Houston and at Memphis. They also play UCF, who Dylan Gabriel, their quarterback, could be back. So I think SMU, regardless, because, I mean, we basically just went ahead and addressed SMU now, so we won't revisit them later. They're definitely going to lose at Cincinnati for all the reasons you said. I mean, this is the game you circle the wagons for Cincinnati. I bet you college game day will probably be there to give them a little love, like you mentioned is there. You, I mean, you hit all the nails on the head there, Cincinnati. Cincinnati has the you know, elite defense. Like, they have a top probably 15, 10 defense in all of college football in this conference. I don't see SMU being able to move the ball as they're mostly an offensive juggernaut. He likes to throw up and down the field and get up and down the field quick. They do have uh, Tanner Mordecai, one of those guys who left Oklahoma because he couldn't get on the field at quarterback. So they have a good quarterback. But ultimately, I think Cincinnati should go undefeated. Um it's another story, though, if they'll actually get in, I would put them in. We'll see what the committee does. It's going to be interesting to see how they end up judging things with the Cincinnati team. Next team up on here is Oklahoma sitting pretty at 8-0. I'll talk about Oklahoma here for us since that I am the guy who picked Oklahoma to win it all before the season started. Look, 
I'm not worried about what happened this weekend at Kansas. We've seen plenty of college football teams have a game where they sleepwalk through it. Oklahoma in the past, besides the Baker Mayfield grab my nuts game against Kansas, has honestly struggled with Kansas in the past. It's just kind of one of those games where you just show up and you have all five stars in the field and you're like, whatever, screw these guys. And all of a sudden they give you everything they got and you're like, oh, wait, let's remind them who we are and you pull away late and win. This is a crazy play by Caleb Williams. I think Caleb Williams is the difference maker for this Oklahoma team. Now, looking at their schedule, they play at Baylor. They still have number 22, Iowa State at the house. And and they have to go play at Oklahoma State. I want to say Oklahoma goes through here undefeated. I feel like Oklahoma slips up and loses one of these games, but I was actually listening to a quote from Matt Campbell in the offseason. Matt Campbell said, look, you might be able to beat Oklahoma one time, but you're not beating Lincoln Riley twice. When he gets to see your defense for a second time and really gets to, you know, kind of figure out, like that first time you might be able to catch him off guard with a little bit of things, but when Lincoln Riley has seen your defense for a second time and he's had time to game plan, you're not beating Oklahoma a second time. I think Oklahoma gets through here with one loss, and I think they'll still have a shot at getting in the playoffs as a one-loss team. I'm not as confident as Oklahoma as you. Um, I see that Kansas game as you look at their, you look mm-hmm. at what Oklahoma's done before the Kansas game, and they've struggled against most of their opponents. They struggled against uh-huh. Tulane week one. They struggled against Nebraska. Struggled against West Virginia. Struggled against at Kansas State. They didn't really struggle against Texas. They just kind of got off to a slow start. Yeah, and then they struggle at Kansas. And to me, it's they haven't improved. They're winning all these games, but they haven't shown any improvement i know they just switched quarterbacks so it's a small Mm -hmm. sample size for caleb williams but if you can barely beat kansas you have some issues kansas is one of the worst football d1 football programs ever there's just not much talent on the field there and you know what the caleb williams play with a different set of referees you might not get the same result that running back was stoned not moving forward he was not moving at all. You easily could have called that play dead, and that was fourth and one. That would have given the ball right back to Kansas. Without them letting that play go, Caleb Williams may not have the chance to grab it from his own running back and end up getting the first down, which then led to more points. So I don't know. I, I think it's a little bit of a fluke play. Uh, I mean, obviously it's a fluke play. Yeah. How often do you see <laughs> never a, a teammate rip it from his other teammate's yeah. hands? But that play easily could have called – could have been called mm-hmm. dead for forward progress or the running back. And Kansas would have gotten the ball back from there because he did not have the first down. So until Oklahoma shows me that they can run an efficient offense, I'm worried about them. My one caveat about the three remaining games left that are that are pretty difficult. They're lucky that they aren't playing that or they're lucky that they get to play Iowa State in the month of November. Because you don't want to play Iowa State in the month of October. Brocktober. better known as Brocktober, where <laughs> Iowa State's like 11-2 and two over the years with Brock as their quarterback in October. So, listen, it's got to mean something. The best month in Iowa State football in the last four years has been October. They've had some letdowns late in the season. Oklahoma gets to play late in the season. But, listen, at Baylor and at Oklahoma State are not going to be easy. Those, those programs and correct does Baylor have one loss? Yeah, Baylor's one loss. And Oklahoma State only has one loss. But yep. Baylor's got one loss and they they were really never ranked this season. Oklahoma State, even when they were undefeated, they were never really fighting for the college football playoff. They would have to mm-hmm. win the Big 12 convincingly, probably. Those those are the teams that they beat Oklahoma and it, they don't even care what the rest of their record is. They're like, oh, successful season. We beat the Sooners. Like the Mike Gundy is going to have those boys fired up to play that game. 
And their defense is really, really good at Oklahoma State. Their their weakness is honestly the offense. Well, if Oklahoma doesn't have an offense that puts teams away like they have under Lincoln Riley in the past, they can let these teams hang in there. And when you let teams that are inferior to you hang around and it gets late in that second half and you're playing on the road, it gets tougher and tougher to close those games out. I think Oklahoma loses at least one of these next three. I wouldn't be shocked if they lose two because their offense doesn't put anyone away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I mean, I agree. I think they're going to slip up in one of these games for sure. I think they'll still end up winning the Big 12 as the champion, but I definitely think there's a slip up coming. So Ben and I both agree on that one. Um, let's talk if you next. Lose, if you lose the, if they lose to Baylor and win the other two, win the Big 12, I think I'm on opposite sides of you. I don't think they get in. Yeah, I mean, it, as long as as long as Cincinnati's undefeated. Yeah, I was gonna say it's definitely gonna be interesting to see how everything plays out. You know, it'll be interesting to see if everyone in the Big Ten goes down twice. It's gonna be interesting to see if everybody loses once. It'll be interesting to see what happens with Oregon. In Cincinnati, something I forgot that we forgot to mention is the remaining schedule may not be hard, but the AAC championship game they're probably gonna have to they could have to play someone they've already beaten, and it's hard to beat someone twice. So that's that's another little. Uh, cliff note on on Cincy. If you have to beat a team twice, it's not easy. No, not at all. It's never, especially in college football, it's pretty much impossible to beat someone twice. You've seen it too many times. Um, let's talk about here the number six team in the nation, the Michigan Wolverines, also undefeated. Michigan is remaining games at number eight, Michigan State, this week, which is another undefeated team versus Iowa or versus Illinois at Penn State at Maryland versus number five, Ohio State. I'll go ahead and start us out here. Look, Michigan will probably get past this week undefeated. I think they drop one. At Penn State is not going to be easy. That game could be a night game against a whiteout. Penn State might have played bad this last week, but Sean Clifford looked like he shouldn't even be out there. Um, Verse number five, Ohio State, I don't think they're going to beat Ohio State at all. I think I could see Michigan losing twice. I definitely think they lose once. Look, shout out to Harbaugh because he finally probably got over his nine classic nine and three season. This Michigan team doesn't really have much on offense. I watched a good bit of the game since I had the under against Northwestern this week. Cade McNamara is not going to throw the ball down the field. It's run the ball and rely on their defense. They have a nasty defense. They don't have an explosive offense. They will get God at some point this season. I mean, I wouldn't even rule out that Michigan State beats them this week. I see at least one loss out of these next three. The schedule is way too hard. Michigan it will definitely drop a game. I don't think they're out, totally out of the nine and three. I, I think they, this team <laughs> could lose three games. They could yeah. lose Michigan State, Penn State, and Ohio State, and it wouldn't really shock anyone else. Um, we'll talk about it more, the Michigan-Michigan State game, when we uh, break down that matchup. But both teams have two very good running backs. Um, but Michigan's defense has carried them this far. They haven't imploded on themselves yet. This is a very winnable game on the road against your in-state rival, Michigan State. We just need to see, you know, Michigan hasn't really played a team that's kind of forced them to beat them through the air. And I'm wondering yeah. who who's going to be that first team because it's going to be someone. So we'll see if Michigan State can kind of force Michigan into the third down passing situations, you know, third and six mm-hmm. and more where you're not really expected to run the football. We'll see if they can win those games. Um, they haven't really been forced to yet, and that's kind of one of the main reasons why they're undefeated. But as you mentioned, that defense is spectacular. Yeah, and you know, you bring up a great point. They really haven't had to face a juggernaut offense where they're going to have to match them touchdown for touchdown rather than they get to play these. Basically, every single team has had to play a game on their terms where they want to play a slow, grinded out, you know, kind of muddy the game up where they control the pace of the game. 
Michigan State, let's talk about them a little bit. I mean, they're basically the same kind of team. Oh, Michigan God State rides – yeah, they ride their running back – um, Kenneth Walker, he does everything for them. Look, they've played an absolute joke of a schedule besides at Miami, but I mean, look at this kind of season Miami's having right now. They are off a of bye week, so I mean, it's going to be a big game this weekend. They still have to play at Ohio State, at Purdue, versus Maryland, versus Penn State. I mean, I don't see any way that Michigan State gets out of here with at least two losses. I think maybe three is more realistic for them here with the rest of the schedule as they finally have to play the good teams on the back half of their schedule. This team has a great defense. They rely a lot on the run game, like we just said. Basically the same thing as Michigan. I mean, this is a hell of a story, hell of a season. I mean, great coaching job by Mel Tucker, but this team's definitely going down. Yeah, it's kind of make or break time for Kenneth Walker for his Heisman candidacy as well. If he gets through this gauntlet playing well, He's got a pretty good chance, I would say, but uh, good luck to him because this this is a gauntlet. Exactly, yeah. This is definitely it's definitely a gauntlet for a lot of these Big Ten teams in the back half of their schedule. This is what they do. They beat each other up. Exactly. Next undefeated team on here is we only have one more left after this one. Actually, no, two more left after this one. The Wake Forest Demon Deacons, who are currently 7-0 and in the ACC. We got like four more. Yeah, they still have to play. Oh, well, we already did SMU, so I'm not counting them. Uh, UTSA, but I don't know. We don't really talk about them. Yeah, we don't have to talk about San Diego State or UTSA since they don't even matter because yeah. they can't get in the playoff. But um, so anyway, Wake Forest has Duke left on their schedule at North Carolina versus NC State at Clemson at Boston College. Ben, you think that you think I, this team can get through the schedule undefeated? Again, this is not an easy schedule. This is what I would consider as an ACC gauntlet. <laughs> at North Carolina, at North Carolina, I know that North Carolina has struggled this year, but it's still Sam Howell throwing the football. Yep. Wake Forest can put up a lot of points. If UNC can match them, that's that's not a game that you want to. It's not a quarterback you want to get in an air raid attack against. NC State is not easy. Whether they play at home on the road, I know they just lost to Miami, but this is a program that they don't care if they just get one or two losses. They play hard to the end of the year. Yep. I know that Clemson's not good. But playing at Clemson late November is not where you want to be. So good luck there. And then at Boston College, another program like NC State who will show up and play hard every single Saturday. I think Wake ends the year with two or three losses. Um, their schedule up to this point, I don't want to take anything away from them. They're 4-0 in the conference. They're 7-0 and overall. The hardest game they've played Probably is Virginia. Either- is either at Virginia or Louisville at home. I mean, that's yeah. Those are both two like six and six teams. So yeah, yeah Wake, that ain't great. Yeah, Wake has had an insanely easy schedule. I'll say this: if they go undefeated, they'll definitely get in there because they'll have to go through Pittsburgh to win the ACC. So I mean, I think if they could end up going undefeated, they would definitely get in the college football playoff. Now, do I think they get in there? But, Hell no. Shout out Sam Hart. Shout out Sam Hartman, the quarterback for Wake Forest. He's playing tremendous football yeah they had a nice little little special on him as well as his uh kind of like adopted brother died when he was in high school and he came out wearing his jersey so they had a nice little special on him what he actually he was on one plays of for he was on like one of the remember the, like those qb1 shows on netflix yep he was on there as well he, he's on like season two or or something like that he basically was at some pretty well-known high school and his coach ended up leaving to a school in south carolina because he wanted to be the head coach and Sam basically was already being recruited and has already committed. So he was like, yeah, I'll follow my coach to try and help him build this high school program out. And uh, 
he's he's had tremendous success at work forward so far. Oh yeah, I'm tough for watching that show too. Like you could tell he's actually like a good kid, like good morals, everything. You know what I mean? Like he's a hard worker. You could tell he's the kind of guy you like. I honestly think he could be the kind of guy who's third, fourth round pick in the NFL draft this upcoming year. Could end up being successful after he sits for a couple of years, but. Yeah, this schedule is way too hard for them. I'm not going to sit here and try to say the ACC is good or anything, but, I mean, they pretty much have to play, in my opinion, the four top teams in the ACC at this point, uh, minus Pittsburgh, so they have to play four out of the five. I don't think Wake Forest can get through it. I see two losses on their schedule. Um, yeah, that's pretty much it. I don't think we really need to talk about San Diego State or UTSA. They don't really have much, but we definitely do need to talk about the Heisman Trophy race. It is wide open. Your current Heisman odds sit at Bryce Young at the favorite plus 125, Matt Corral at plus 350, CJ Stroud plus 450, and Pittsburgh quarterback Kenny Pickett at plus 900. Ben, why don't you tell me how things can play out for your boy to win Heisman? I'm a little shocked that he's got – that's not like a huge lead, but it's a bigger lead than I would have guessed, yeah. to be honest with you. Well, the odds also vary by where you look. Like, I've seen them all over the place, but those are just the ones I went with. Oh, okay. Um I mean, I, I still think Bryce Young deserves to be the favorite on every single book, mm-hmm. especially what he did last week. He had two rushing touchdowns, over 350 yards passing, and I believe two passing touchdowns as well, mm-hmm. maybe one passing touchdown. But uh, listen, he's he's leading a very efficient offense. Uh, he's starting to run the ball a little bit more. He's got the deep ball working for him when he goes to Jameson Williams down the field. It also helps that he's wearing the script A on his uniform. And I'll be very blunt, very honest about that. When you play for Nick Saban and when you play for the University of Alabama, yeah, you know, mm-hmm. you, you get a little help. So I think that's kind of playing to him, playing to his factor. I don't want to hear it that he's not the Heisman favorite because he absolutely is. I agree. Uh, Matt, Matt, Matt Corral's had a very good year. His passing numbers are a little down. And I think the reason for that is because he's had a lot of receivers go down. So Ole Miss has had to rely on him using his legs a lot more. That doesn't hurt your Heisman stats, but it doesn't double duty. It doesn't double book them as in Mm -hmm. if he was lighting it up through the air and lighting it up on the ground, he would be the favorite. But his passing numbers have gone down um, and Ole Miss's offense has been less efficient. I mean, let's face it, his game against Alabama lost him the Heisman. It sucks that one game ruined it for him, but he was the favorite or tied to favorite going into that game. And he became a bigger underdog after. We already talked about Kenneth Walker uh, going through his gauntlet of a schedule. If he plays well, he's got a great chance. Yeah, he's sixth, He's sixth, by the way, at plus, uh, plus 2,000. If I did suggest any bet, that'd be the bet I would lay. Yeah, and I think two guys to keep a name out for, C.J. Shroud and Henderson. They're running back for Ohio State. He is. Boy, he looks like a man amongst boys. Have you been watching oh, yeah. Ohio State football recently? I honestly haven't because they've been such big favorites, but I'm friends with a bunch of Ohio kids, so trust me, I hear about it. He's bigger, faster, stronger than everyone that's lining up against him at the moment. Not many people have been able to tackle him Yeah, if they even catch up to him. He's a name to keep uh, keep an eye out for. It, you know, so I would say those are probably the main – I still think it's going to be a two a two-player race until the very end of the season. I think it's going to be Corral, and I think it's going to be Bryce Young. When they're going to New York – uh, I, I think it's really only going to be one of those two. But I would love to see Kenny Pickett get an invite. I would love to see some guys that, from schools that you don't see a lot. I, I would love to see Walker from Michigan State get there. Um, 
it's a great story. Kenny Kenny Pickett is phenomenal. What he's doing with Pitt, what Pat Narduzzi is doing with Pitt, it, it's tremendous. And, and they're easy to root for. Yeah, and, well, uh, th- them and Wake Forest kind of both, you know, took the same path where they've got all these fifth and sixth year seniors they were able to bring back because mm-hmm. of COVID. Like Kenny Pickett should have been out of college football after last year, but he gets another year because of COVID, which works. But I agree, it is a tremendous story. The game against Clemson was awesome. I'm gonna break it down for you this way. Look, before actually, before I say anything, be, I hate to put you on the spot, Ben, but because it's a podcast, I'm gonna put you on the spot. Gun to your head, who you choose and why? I mean, it's still Bryce Young. I, I get that that probably sounds like a favorite because I'm an Alabama fan, but he's also this is a quarterback award for the most part. Yep. He's he's been the best quarterback in college football. I agree with you completely. I think that's I think that's a good pick. This is the way I'm going to break it down here for you. Bryce Young, as long as Alabama is one loss in the Final Four, Bryce Young wins the Heisman. Set straight in stone. Road looks good for them so far. Matt Corral. Alabama goes down again. Ole Miss is one loss now. They would technically go to the SEC championship game. I think that would give Matt Corral the boost he needs to get it. If he loses to Georgia in the SEC championship game, he definitely gets the Heisman Trophy, I think. Well, CJ, don't they – Don't they, they what? They, they would need to win this week in Auburn, though. Yeah, they would. Yeah, for sure. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. They, Ole Miss wins out. Alabama goes down. That's yeah. the only way Corral can really get it. CJ Stroud, Alabama. Um, they need obviously Ole Miss to slip up probably one or two more times, which is very likely to happen. And they need Bryce Young and Alabama to slip up. Then CJ Stroud could get it. Honestly, though, CJ Stroud comes out there and shreds Michigan and shreds Penn State. He could very well get the award. You know, I feel like CJ Stroud and Bryce Young should probably be one and two rather than Matt Corral. Kenny Pickett, I mean, even if they win out, it's in the ACC and win the ACC, it's going to be tough for him to get it over these guys just because, you know, CJ Stroud is the best receiving core in the league. You've talked about it so many times the receiving core he has and the playmaking he has. Um, what was Henderson on that list? Henderson is currently right behind Walker's. Caleb Williams okay. is in between them. I'm not even going to talk about Caleb Williams. I don't think he has a chance at winning it. Um, Kenneth Walker, look. He almost got benched against Kansas. Why is he even in there? Yeah, I mean, if if Bryce Young in Alabama lose, Matt Corral obviously has the same scenario, the three losses. C.J. Stroud and Ohio State slip up again. Kenny Pickett and Pitt have a slip up. I mean, even if even if Michigan State's nine and three, if if Kenneth, if Kenneth Walker keeps running the ball and has such a big lead in rush yards and touchdowns over the rest of college football, he could have a very good chance of getting it. Gun to my head for my selection, Ben, you're gonna hate me for this one. I'm actually going with C.J. Stroud. I think Ole Miss has at least one or two losses left in them for sure. I could see Matt Corral having a bad game somewhere down the stretch here. I don't know, man. I just can't convince myself Alabama's going to win out. I just really haven't liked what I've seen against them the last couple of games and against in the biggest games they've played so far this season. That. I just I feel like, like what I've seen. Yeah, I just feel like CJ Stroud and Ohio State have a very winnable schedule to win out. I mean, Sean Clifford's not going to be 100%. Michigan is a pop gun offense. Michigan State does not have the explosiveness to keep up with them. I mean, slowly but surely, Ohio State took their loss and they've gotten better every single week. I actually think CJ Stroud is going to be the Heisman Trophy winner when it's all said and done. Aren't there any defensive players on the list? No, there's none. So the list goes Bryce Young, Matt Corral, Stroud Pickett, Caleb Williams, Kenneth Walker, Trayvon Henderson, Desmond Ritter, Bijan Robinson, and Brian Robinson. Desmond Ritter, honestly, I could, I would see if you could bet someone to be like a final three finalist, I would take Desmond Ritter because I think Cincinnati goes undefeated and I think he can get in that final three, but I just don't think they're going to give him enough love to win it. Right. I would agree. 
Yeah. I, I mean, the only reason I was asking defensive players, if there's like a chaos scenario to where Alabama loses again, mm-hmm. Ole Miss loses, Michigan State falls apart, um, and Ohio State, what if their guys, they win games, but they're not just going off? Yeah. Could have been the year uh, if Ndamukong Su was still in college, then it would be looking kind of good. Um, I agree with that completely. I mean, shoot, yeah, I, wouldn't the, be, I wouldn't be shocked the, though if we have a complete chaos. You know what I mean? This, the way the season's gone, I feel like it's been complete chaos so far. Yeah, and, I, you know, with the Georgia defense, I think there's people that think Jordan Davis or, or mm-hmm. Carter or, or some of them. There's too many good guys in the defense to say that there's one yep. standout. So, um, I mean, that that's probably why you're not seeing a defensive player in there. Um, and it's really, really hard, obviously. Yeah, I mean, it's so hard for an, for an offensive player to win. I mean, I could really see, though, some chaos playing out this slate. Everything's been chaotic, but I just feel like Ohio State has quietly played such good football just because we wrote them off so soon. You know, I feel like they've quietly been playing great football. So, I think well, scheduled, them. Their schedule did get easier, though. Yeah, I mean, uh, I wouldn't say their schedule necessarily got easier. They probably have two of their better – well, Sean Clifford getting hurt makes yeah, it they, easier. But, I mean, they still do have to play Michigan and Michigan State. Oh, I'm saying it got easier after the Oregon game. Like, no one's talked about Ohio State because they played Tulsa, Akron, Rutgers, and Maryland, okay. Indiana. No, you're – I mean, you're 100% right. All those teams are absolutely garbage that they've beaten, and they've proven why those teams are garbage, too, by housing all of them. And and you know what? I, I don't think their schedule is necessarily that easy either. I, I don't think playing at Nebraska – I wouldn't say playing at Nebraska is one of the easiest places Not to at play all. in the country. Not at all, and I feel like a lot of us have just kind of written off Nebraska because what we saw in Week Zero and how bad they played in that Illinois game. But Nebraska's been very respectful. I mean, they almost beat Michigan. They gave Michigan all they wanted and more in that game. I believe Nebraska holds the NCAA record for most consecutive sellouts home games. Yeah, exactly. Nebraska is—they have one of the biggest. There's nothing to do there. Football. Yeah, exactly. There's nothing <laughs> to do. They love their cornhuskers. That's exactly like <laughs> Iowa. There's nothing to do there, so everyone goes to the games. That's hilarious. Hey, I will say this though, Ben. It's been probably the most fun year I've had talking about college football, just because you know this—it hasn't played out just the way we thought it would. It hasn't been Clemson, Ohio State, Alabama, and you know Georgia or, or Oklahoma. You know, like it's been yeah, it's been the most fun year I've had by far talking about college football. I can't wait to see how everything plays out. We have a very exciting weekend of games. I don't, still don't think it can surpass that weekend when Al, when Alabama went down to uh, Texas A&M. I don't think it can surpass that slate of games. That'll be the best slate of the year, but this slate is definitely up there. It's going to be fun to watch. Let's move now to the NFL after we had another crazy wild week in the NFL. By the way, Ben, that game last night I think is the worst NFL football game I've watched in the past 10 years. What do you think? Yeah, not great. Uh, obviously, the weather was tough, but I mean, the, both quarterbacks are just not – not high-profile guys. Um, well, I don't even fault not, them for not, not great being able football. to. Yeah, I don't even fault them for not being able to throw in the wind, in the wind and rain and everything. But it was just all just all around ugly to watch. You know, that was just a gross game, especially the way the Saints won. That was just an all-around gross game. Not saying any of those shouldn't have been penalties because those definitely were all penalties, a hundred percent. I don't disagree with any of those calls. It was just a gross game. Yeah, I mean the afternoon slate was horrific as well. Yeah, I'm not gonna. Sunday. I'm not gonna lie. I rage quit on NFL after the Eagles. The way the Eagles first half went, I had to rage quit. By the way, Nick Sirianni on four. It would have been fourth down and four from about the forty. There from the Eagles forty five. Instead, takes a takes a holding penalty, and then Derek Carr throws like a forty yard pass the next play. That's to be the dumbest coaching decision I've ever seen in my entire life. And now they're trying to drive 
out Jalen Hurts. When you give Jalen Hurts a bunch of five, seven midgets to throw the football to, you trade away Zach Ertz. You have a terrible offensive line, a horrible head coach. I mean, the list just goes on and on and on. It's like they want to blame it all on Jalen Hurts. I agree. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm not going to sit here and say that I think Jalen's a great quarterback. Definitely capable of leading a football team to, to some wins. And they have nothing offensively. Their weapons are horrific. They're just so bad. And Jalen runs for his life quite often. Yeah, I think Devonta Smith's good. I just don't think they put him in. I don't think they put him or Jalen Smith in situations where they can, or Jalen Hurts in situations where they can exceed, succeed. You know, like I feel like they basically just threw him into the fire. And when you have a rookie quarterback like that, you got to do a lot of stuff to help him out. And they're just doing. They don't run it. the football. Yeah, exactly. That's yeah, that's the other point either. They don't hand the ball off ever. Like, and now Miles Sanders is hurt, so they're really not going to run the football now. Exactly. And when they did try to run the football, Gainwell put it on the carpet and sealed our uh, bet for us. So. Anyway, let's stop complaining about that one. Let's talk about the wild NFL Sunday it was. We started off the the 1 p.m. slate with watching the Kansas City Chiefs get absolutely buried by the Tennessee Titans. This is the second week in a row where the Titans have beat up on one of the so-called elite teams in the NFL. Buffalo obviously is. Kansas City is not right now. Ben, let's talk about the good part of this game. The boys out of your backyard absolutely whooped Kansas City's ass. And surprisingly, Derrick Henry did not dominate. It was more so through the air than anything. Ben, do you think this Titans team is a legit Super Bowl contender or are they just they just play good games the last couple of weeks? Well, they did play both of these games at home. I think that's worth mentioning. Even though the Bills brought a ton of fans, um, the Titans have a very good chance to win their division, so that'll carry over to having some home playoff games, which is good news for them. I'm going to say yes. And I'm going to say yes, because they've been in this situation in the past couple of years. Mm-hmm. Very recently, they were just in an AFC championship game in a very winnable game against the Chiefs when the Chiefs were at their peak. Derrick Henry dominated that game. Mike Vrabel is it. I do think he is a good coach. I agree. I think he has some questionable game managing decisions with the clock, but he knows the identity of his team. He knows that he's going to run and pound and run and pound Derrick Henry as often as he can. And he's got the perfect quarterback for his system. Got a quarterback that makes smart decisions, the ability to audible at the line of scrimmage. He's got a lot of trust in Tannehill. Tannehill doesn't turn the ball over too much. Tannehill has the ability to uh, um, scramble when the play gets, uh, when, when nothing's open. They're not one-dimensional. They have good receivers. It's the defense that's the problem, but Somehow, some way, the depleted injury bug defense was able to stop Kansas City. And I'm going to switch it real, real quick to the Kansas City side. I think the Tampa Bay Bucks put, put out a blueprint for how to stop the Chiefs. Since the Bucks game, the Chiefs have not been able to throw the ball downfield to Nicole uh, Hardman, to Pringle, or to Tyreek Hill, really mm-hmm. to anybody. You take away the deep man by playing too high safety, making you throw everything underneath, and the Chiefs' offense has not looked good since the Tampa Bay Buccaneers game. Yeah. um, My first thing I want to say here is, look, I think Tennessee's offense is definitely a juggernaut. You have Tannehill, who's decent enough. He has two beast receivers with Julio Jones and A.J. Brown. Derrick Henry, in my opinion, is the biggest mismatch in the NFL. All these teams went over to these smaller defenses so they can stop teams from passing the ball on them and they can better play the pass. No team has an answer for stopping King Henry when he runs the football. He is easily the biggest mismatch in the entire NFL. At the same time, though, I think this Titans defense is downright terrible. 
They played yeah. well. They played well this last week against Kansas City. I don't know what the hell was wrong with Kansas City in that game, but it seemed like they could figure out nothing and they just completely just gave up eventually in the game. I don't think this Titans defense though is going to end up being the main reason why this Titans team doesn't go deeper in the playoffs. I like their offense and everything, but I don't think they're a legit Super Bowl contender. I think if they saw Buffalo again in the playoffs, I don't think they could get past them. I think Baltimore would be a tough game for them. I think there's a lot of teams. They played, that, if they play it at home, I think it'll help just for the, you know, the comfortable that. feeling at home. I still don't think – like this is one of the better road teams you'd want to travel with mm-hmm. if you were betting on that because their style of play travels. Yeah. It, that is true. They're, they're running. They are lining up and they're running the football all over you. That is their style of play. That's what they want to do. You know, crowd noise isn't really an effective thing in the NFL as much as it is in college. Even if it was, you know, if they're playing at Buffalo in an AFC yeah. championship game, they're running the football. Crowd noise ain't going to affect Tannehill's handing the ball off to Derrick Henry. So, that's something that I think travels well for them is their style of play can play against anybody, as you just mentioned, which is a great point. If you're set up to stop the uh, pass, which the Buffalo is not, but most teams are, Derrick Henry is going to run all over you as he did against Buffalo. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Derrick Henry definitely will. And I mean, we've seen their blueprint a lot of times how they win these games, even in the playoffs. What they like to do is they like to get a lead. Yeah, they like to get a lead with Derrick Henry, and then they just like to rely on him the entire game. It's kind of smart, honestly, how they run him the regular season where they have him like, do they get up big in a game? Okay, he's not going to carry the ball anymore. A lot of times, too, like week, probably week 16 or 17, you'll see, or sorry, week 15 or 16, maybe even 17 if they've already clinched the division, you'll see Derrick Henry sit out a game so he can kind of get some load management before the playoffs as well, which is very, very smart in my opinion. And ultimately, look, I agree with you on everything. I just think this bad defense is going to get exposed by one of these quarterbacks in the playoffs. I think it'll probably be Kansas City. So I just don't think they're a serious playoff contender. I can't buy into their defense. They've, um, had, uh, they've had Lamar's number. Vrabel has owned Lamar in the past couple of years. He has. Even though they lost that playoff game, it was because they were able just to put the game. They, Baltimore was able to try to make Tannehill beat them, and he wasn't able to. But they definitely did shut down Lamar. He did not play as well. But it will be interesting, too, to see with how good Lamar is at passing the ball now, How if he can do something differently in this game. Um, next, the other team I want to talk about real quick is the Kansas City Chiefs. And, I mean, they look absolutely abysmal right now. It feels like the teams have kindly figured out. So this is what I've heard from listening to a lot of sports talk. So what teams have been doing is that they've been putting two safeties high on um, – sorry, they've, they've been putting two safeties high and basically trying to make Kansas City throw the ball underneath, basically say, hey, we'll give you a three-yard catch to Kittle – I mean to uh, Kelsey, but we're not going to let you throw over the top on us, and that's what teams have been doing to them on and all, all the entire time. So I really just feel like as long as they can let a team not do this to them, that they can get better. But at the same time for Kansas City, I also said I didn't think that they were going to be that good this season. You know, I said I felt like the team who loses the Super Bowl always has struggles the next season, and it's been proven their past game – and their just offense in general is not what it used to be for those reasons. Also, their defense is absolutely awful. I some just for some reason feel like Kansas City can pick it up and make the playoffs, but I do not see them becoming a Super Bowl contender again. I think they'll limp into the playoffs and get knocked out early. They lose one more game. It's definitely uh, time to hit the panic button that they're not making the playoffs. I'll tell you that. Um, I heard something that raised my eyebrow a little bit. Pretty interesting. Andy Reid basically said, I've the stuff that we're, that I'm seeing on the field right now and on film, mm-hmm. I have not seen from this unit before since I've been coaching them. Ooh. Andy Reid's been around football for a very, very long time. He's mm-hmm. a very 
highly respected offensive mind in NFL history. Yeah. If, he, if he's seeing mistakes in the defensive and offensive end that he hasn't seen before, that tells me it's not a correction you can make on a week-to-week basis. It, it's something that they, like, they need to have like a private meeting and say, we need to get our head out of our ass and play Kansas City Chiefs football. On the other side of that, Patrick Mahomes deserves a lot of blame because he does. And it, and I'm going to give him the exact same blame for the people that rag on Carson Wentz on. People say that Carson Wentz is the type of player, type of quarterback that never gives up on a play, wants to make a play out of everything. Mm-hmm. Patrick Mahomes is doing that and he's doing that in a bad, bad way. And when a guy's wrapped around his ankles trying to sack him, he has now thrown three interceptions while he is falling to the ground. Some of them have been when his arm has been hit. It doesn't matter. You're getting the blame for everything. He's got some of his interceptions um, bouncing off his receiver's hands. Can't always blame those on uh, on Mahomes. You're throwing into coverage either way. And he's not making the smartest decisions with the football. He's trying to make too much out of very little situations. And the core of their big problem is the contract that Patrick Mahomes signed. Yep. They lost. They lost some offensive linemen. Um, Eric Fisher wasn't like great for the Chiefs, and his you know he was the number one overall pick. I don't know if he played up to the number one pick, but you had to replace your left tackle. They lost someone else on the offensive line. Their defense was never the highlight point of the team. So the fact that their defense isn't great hasn't been great. Their offense is a lot worse now. Well, yeah, the team's a lot worse because now their offense isn't bailing their defense out, and. Mahomes is part of the reason to blame for that. Honestly, Eric B. Enemy as well. They're not run, they're not even trying to run the football. I'm not saying Clyde Edwards Hilaire can run the football for them. He's out for the season way. now, though. Oh, he's out for the season. Yeah. That's right. Um, with the, the other running back. Darrell um, Williams. Darrell Williams. Listen, we've talked about this a lot. We've seen this a lot. You can pick up a, a running back on the street and him be successful. The Bears. They're not winning football games, but Khalil Herbert's running the football pretty effectively for them right yep. now. What's it? What's uh? What's the kid's name for the Browns? Oh, uh, Dearness Johnson. Dearness Johnson was DMing AAF football teams for him to give him a chance. He just ran for over a hundred yards in the NFL game on Prime TV. Yep. The the Chiefs are throwing the ball at seventy three percent clip right now. Give Mahomes help. Run the football. You gotta have a balanced offense. There, there's a lot of issues in Kansas City right now. Mahomes is at the forefront of them. Yeah, um, I I agree, Ben, with all the points you made there. I think the best point you made there is the fact that that Mahomes is trying to make too many plays. I feel like that really what Mahomes is trying to do is he's trying to say, "Wow, we're playing like shit. Look, I'm Superman. I'm gonna go make a Superman play, and it's just not working out for him." So I think you made some great points there, Ben. Um, anyway, let's move now to our final two teams. We got to talk about here real quick. Ben, do you think the Cincinnati Bengals will win the division, or is this just a fluke? I don't think it's a fluke. Um, reason for that being, when do you remember how many games Joe Burrow played last year? Um, I think he only played in like four or five. So let's say he played four. I believe he was three and one in games covering last year. So far this year, he's five and one. Uh, I believe he's five and one. Is that six games? Are they four and I think they're four and two, aren't they? Or no, they're only two. they're only losses. I thought was to the Bengals. I think they. Have, I mean, wait, it was no, to the Bears. 
No, they lost to Green Bay as well. That's right. On no the much. in the in the field goal games because they couldn't make a field goal. So yes, I, I think they're legitimate chances to win this division. The Browns are one, they're not healthy at all. Two, mm-hmm. even if their playmakers are healthy, Baker Mayfield's not going to be healthy until he has surgery at the end of the season on his labrum and his shoulder. So I think the Browns mm-hmm. listen, Joe Burrow keeps them in every game. This year they're winning some of they're winning a lot of these close games. When last year he kept them in in the fourth quarter, talent kind of took over. I hand up, I was wrong. Um, most people were wrong when say they should have drafted an offensive lineman instead of Jamar Chase. It's worked out just fine. Jamar Chase has been an absolute stud. He's kind of a cakewalk to win Rookie of the Year at this point. Yeah, um, I'm actually gonna agree with you here, Ben. I think they are gonna win the division, honestly. And look, the Ravens have the hardest schedule of any team in the NFL remaining. The Steelers and their so, injuries, their injuries are going to yeah. Those injuries will definitely catch up to them, as we saw it happen this week. Also, too, you look at the next team in the division, the Steelers. Steelers are garbage. The Browns will probably get hot with the injuries and everything, but I don't think they can win the division at this point. Look, the reason why that I like this team so much is one reason, one reason only. This is going to be kind of a stupid reason. I thought them winning that Thursday night game against the Jags was the most impressive win they've had all season long. They played like shit in the first half. They didn't, they scored, I think, like right before the half. They played terrible in the first half. The fact that when you come out as, as big of a favorite as they were and you play so bad and you just have a, such a night and day second half, that shows me this team's actually talented and they have good coaching because they clearly made all the right adjustments the second half. That to me was the game where I actually bought in on this team was after watching them come back and win that game they're great man they they're balanced on offense zach taylor's uh, zach taylor and joe burrow's trust is just second to none like Mm -hmm. burrow is coming through in the clutch moments their defense is so underrated right now it's crazy yep and they have playmakers i you know i think they i think they've had a good receiving core for a couple years now Mm -hmm. um you know, A.J. Green had help. Tyler Boyd's been a terrific number two oh, receiver sure. in the league for a while. And T. Higgins, I believe he was a rookie last year. He was solid. He's solid again this year. They just needed someone consistently to get them the football. And then they replaced A.J. Green, who was great for the Bengals in his career. But if we're being honest, he was always hurt. Jamar Chase, not only has he been a stud, he's already got the trust with Burrow oh, because 100%. they played in college together. And so Tyler Boyd is still getting his – he gets a lot of receptions. He's mm-hmm. just a tremendous fantasy player. He gets a lot of targets. And they're great. Their defense is underrated. They got a pretty good rookie kicker right now making a lot of tough kicks um, other than the Green Bay game. Um, in his defense, Mason Crosby wasn't making very many either. <laughs> no, not so at all. So they're an all-around balanced team. Uh, Zach Taylor has really done a 180 in terms of coaching in fourth quarters. I think his – his rookie year, he was kind of like, what are you what are you doing coaching this team? But they have all clicked together. This team can absolutely win the division. A beat-up division. Oh, yeah. No, for sure. This team can definitely win the division, and I think they probably will end up winning it. Last team on here are Indianapolis Colts – or your Indianapolis Colts, Ben. They've been heating up the last couple of weeks with back-to-back big-time wins. Um, just the question here would be, can this Colts team come back and win the division and make the playoffs here? I think this Colts team definitely can. I mean, looking at it as a wild, week. oh yeah, as a wild card team, they definitely can. Look, the Colts own the Titans. I don't know if y'all know this or not, but basically last year, I think they split with the Titans. Other than that, they pretty much beat the Titans. I think it was like thirteen out of the last fourteen times the teams had met. They're Owen, Owen won this year. Titans won this year. Oh, they already played. Actually, that is right. They already did play each other. So this is a perfect. They revenge. played early. 
Yeah, you're right. That was when I think that was the Eason game. So this Colts team, look, they're getting healthy at the right time. The thing that we said before the season started is if they can weather the storm and make it to about week six or seven when they get their guys back, this team will be within firing range. Well, they're three and four right now, and it's week seven. So this team definitely weathered the storm. They're ready to go. I think this Colts team is definitely alive and will have a chance to win this division when it's all said and done. Uh, I brought up a point when Frank Wright was uh, the Eagles offensive coordinator with Wentz as his quarterback that as the season went on, they got better and better together. And I thought Mm -hmm. that could have been a trend. You'll see with the Colts, they're starting to get better now. If they lose at home this week to the Titans, though, there's, I mean, it's over. So Mm -hmm. it's really all in the balance of this week. Carson Wentz is playing his best football right now. Jonathan Taylor's running the ball very effectively. Michael Pittman, I told you when he was drafted, he's going to be a stud in this league because he's a big target. He high pointed that ball exactly how it's taught uh, last week against uh, who they just played. They just played the uh, 49ers. He high pointed that ball on the right sideline. Got a touchdown out of it. Carson Wentz is playing with extreme confidence right now. He ran the ball effectively in bad weather against San Francisco. He took a couple of big hits, bounced right back up. And you can kind of see there was a run that he had. It was like third down. He ran for it got hit in the ribs, got right back up, and his teammates were all around there to help him up. And as soon as he got back to the um, the huddle, he was clapping it up, firing up his teams. He's like, boys, I'm good. I can take these hits. So he can't take those hits consistently, but he did <laughs> in that situation, yep. and he got back up. And when your quarterback's got swagger, your team has swagger. It all it – all, uh, it, it, it's all in the quarterback's hands. So he's playing well. The offense is playing well. But if they lose this week, it's over. And if I'm not mistaken, aren't the Titans – I believe they're favored in Indy for some reason. I might be wrong on that, though. Yeah, I think that – no, I think the Titans were minus one yesterday. I don't know if that one flipped or yeah. not overnight or I think it. I think it's like one or one and a half. Uh, so it's basically a pick them. But still, I mean, that's that's saying something. So if they can win this game at home, they're they're sitting pretty. But uh, if they lose this game, it's it's getting real ugly again. No, 100%. Anything else you want to cover before we get up out of here? Uh, Kyle Pitts, just real quick. Uh, Wow. (laughs) Most receiving yards for a tight end through his first five games in NFL history, I believe. Him and Jamar Chase are – I guess I shouldn't have said Jamar Chase is a cakewalk for rookie of the year since Pitts is giving him some competition now. But Falcons – playing a lot better and i honestly think the common denominator is the coaching they're they're better coached arthur smith is doing a lot better job than dan smith dan quinn ever did (laughs) and honestly the defense the defense ranks top 15 against the run and top 15 against the pass right now aj terrell has been one of the best corners in football that is not getting talked about they just need to get a little bit more consistent pressure on the quarterback but Shout out to the Falcons. They're playing hard. They, I mean, their fourth quarters are so bad, though. It is just mind-boggling that they can't figure out how to play a good fourth quarter. It's just an up and down. Um, they have a great kicker. Matt Ryan played well against the Dolphins, and this team's they're winning some mm-hmm. football games right now. No, 100%, Ben. Um, yeah, this Falcons team, honestly, that was a great win. That's the kind of game that we would have lost for sure under Dan Quinn. And look, it is the exact same team. They're just better coached. Kyle Pitts stays out on the field a lot more than Julio did. I feel bad for Calvin Ridley because he hasn't had the season that I was hoping he would. But at the same time. Been a little um, banged up. But then he had he was out of that one game for personal reasons. Um, yep. 
but yeah, I mean, his production hasn't been as great, but I have some text that you sent ragging on Kyle Pitts. Have you done a 180 on Kyle Pitts now? Are you finally in love with him? I am in love with Kyle Pitts. Look, this is going to be my defense against Kyle Pitts. Look what Jamar Chase was doing as a top five pick. When you're a top five pick like that, I expect you to come out week one and be a freaking beast. Like, I don't care if it takes a little while to sink in the NFL and play tight end. I don't care this, that, and the other. You can make all the excuses you want. He doesn't uh, really block. He's no, he just does. a receiving tight end. Yeah, he is just a receiving tight end. When you are picked number or top five in an NFL draft, I expect you to come in week one and be a beast. You know, that was my main reason for being mad with Kyle Pitts, you know, because I was expecting, I had a very high expectations for him. Now, has he met my expectations the last two weeks? Absolutely. I mean, he won that game for us. That one-handed catch he made was nasty. So what I heard was, and this is from Mark Sanchez, who's uh, in broadcasting now, and they do game preparation interviews. They talked to Matt Ryan. He said he was at the Falcons practice last Friday and he's going to be at the Falcons practice this Friday. Something he noticed, and he says it's a tremendous job by Matt Ryan and the coaching staff for the Falcons. They are, when they do their red zone practice on Fridays, Matt yeah. Ryan doesn't leave Kyle Pitts' side. If Kyle wow. Pitts is going to get water, Matt Ryan's getting water. He said he's in his ear 24-7. What Mark Sanchez was saying was the Falcons' offensive coordinator – um, is is Arthur calling plays, or do we do we have our offense coordinator calling plays? I believe Arthur you know? Smith calls the plays. Um, what he's doing a really good job of mixing up where he's lining up Kyle Pitts. He's yep. been on the outside. He's been on the tight end position. He's been he's even been in a slot occasionally, which is doing a really good job of kind of disguising where what routes he's going to run. And Mark Sanchez says Matt Ryan is doing a tremendous job with the teaching of Kyle Pitts. He said, they're not even asking him to do much. They they're, they're showing him what the defense of whatever they're playing that current week. So uh, this coming week, they play Carolina. Mm -hmm. They're giving him the defensive breakdown of what Carolina has been running on defense. The, then they're going over the plan. The Falcons have an offense. And then they're going up with a backup plan. That's all Kyle. That's the only information Kyle Pitts is getting so far this season. They're not asking him to do that much. In the offensive meetings, they're just focusing on what they need him to do. They're not trying to – they're trying to keep him as a rookie because in what Mark Sanchez was saying, and, and this kind of goes into the rookie. When you're a rookie, you have a lot to learn. They're not – they don't want to just throw him into the fire because that makes him play slower. They want him to use his speed, use his athleticism. They're basically telling him, run a go route, and he's running it as fast as he can. Or they're saying run a slant here, and Matt Ryan's going to get you the ball, and that's all he needs to know. So I think as the season goes on, I think you'll, I think Pitts has a very good chance to do even more damage because he's only going to learn more and more as the weeks go on. They're not asking him to do that much from a mental capacity point. He probably doesn't even know the full playbook as of right now. Yeah, they're just telling him what they need him to do, and they want him to play fast. I think that's kind of smart. I like that a lot. And my favorite part too about Matt Ryan shows how much of a leader he is, is at He's both coach. weeks after after that Kyle Pitts had big weeks. Matt Ryan's on Twitter. He's on Instagram saying yes. congrats, Kyle Pitts, on your first this and that, more to come. Like Matt Ryan's pumping these guys up. And that's why he's he the ultimate leader. And he knows that he might be on the way out in terms of his Falcons mm -hmm. career. He doesn't care. He's doing what's best for the city of Atlanta, for the Falcons organization. He knows this team, this organization is going to demand a lot of Kyle Pitts, 
He's doing everything he can to get him up to speed to dominate. Last two weeks, he's been two for two. Yeah, gotta love it. Gotta love it. Hey, I'm glad we got our Falcons in there there at the last minute. Ben, I'm very excited for our matchup podcast. I haven't got to talk about Florida State on there since week one. They will be back on there once again. We got a lot of good matchups coming up here in college football. It's going to be a hell of a podcast for us coming up. Ben, let's go Braves tonight. We appreciate everyone who tuned in. Appreciate you coming back on. We'll talk to everyone once again soon.